Welcome to the Agent Success Podcast, where we talk about how to grow, prosper, and innovate in your real estate business. Learn how to find your ideal client, generate leads, and convert more sales from other agents in the business. My name is Brooke. I'm your host, and I hope you gain a ton of value from today's episode. Let's go. Hey guys, thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Agent Success Podcast. Today with me, I have Jody Stevens, a title rep at Tennessee Title Services here in Clarksville. She's going to be providing some value to newer agents or agents that are just looking to figure out what is it that the title company does, some success stories that she's seen over the years in the business as far as agents are concerned and tips and tricks that the title company can help with to make you serve your clients to the best of your ability. Thank you for tuning in and let's go ahead and get started. So what are some of the mistakes that you see agents make from your perspective at the title company? I would say the first one and the big one is not writing a contract that is so clear that nobody, nobody is making an assumption. <laughs> it, you may have meant this, but if I can't, if I wasn't there and I didn't hear the conversation around it, I can make assumptions based yeah. on what I'm reading, but it should be so crystal clear that nobody is making an assumption. So there's like no room for interpretation. Right. And then you, I'm assuming, have to contact the agent. Yes. And then if they're not quite sure, maybe, you know, a newer agent is probably going to be more likely to make that mistake, yes. right? And so then they have to contact their client, yes. I'm sure. And then it's like going down yes. the grapevine of right. figuring out what was this. And then hopefully the other party also interpreted it the same way. True. And that, you know, we still are all in agreement. Yeah. But I've just certainly had to have things rewritten. Mm-hmm. Because sometimes the lender's like, what did they actually mean? Do you have an example? Um, so I think that it comes into things where you talk about closing costs, but maybe you don't define what they are. Like, say, for example, maybe I intended for my seller to pay closing costs, but not a discount. But I, maybe I wasn't totally clear on that. Yeah. Maybe I just said, um, I don't know. <laughs> mm. Maybe I wasn't crystal clear. So yeah. now I got the lender wanting to pay discount points, but that's not really what I wanted. Um, I think so, that agents like aren't sure about what they're even saying sometimes too, true. because we did have somebody that was confused about like if they're offering a repair credit, is that going towards closing costs? And there right. was like confusion there as well right. in the language and the different terms. So honestly, not trying to be snarky to anybody, but if you, if you use a TAR contract and you look at a TAR contract, it spells out what buyer expenses are and what seller expenses are. Yeah. And repairs are not in there. Um, really, for that matter, title is not in there. Title defined in the TAR contract is the search, lender fee, I mean, sorry, lender policy and owner's policy, and they are in a different part. Mm. So you can't assume that if I'm giving a $500 credit for repairs and my closing costs are capped, that that repair is part of that closing cost. Because if you look at the actual definitions, it's not. And then do you have to like break that news to them so yeah. that they can break that news to their clients? Yes. Oh gosh. Yeah. Does that happen a lot? It happens more than you would think. Yeah. Do you have any other mistakes that you feel like besides clarity and contracts? That... Uh, my other thing is this not addressing a problem or a suspected problem up front. If you are listing a, somebody's house for sale 
and they tell you that they used to own this with their wife, but their wife passed away or they got divorced or whatever that is, lead with that. When you come to title, just tell us, you know, this guy used to be married. He says he got the property in a divorce. We're going to find out. So let's just start with that. So if there's any problems, we can address it beforehand. Right. We can even look at documents before you even list the house. Uh, Let's just say the husband says, I got the house, or the man says, I got Mm -hmm. the house in the divorce. Um, I think she was supposed to sign some, but I'm not sure. And I don't know where she is. Mm. That happens a lot, actually. Yeah. So let us review that divorce decree and see what we got and what we're facing. Sometimes we can say, this is going to take a while. Let's even fix this before you list the house. Yeah. Because I don't want you to sell the house this weekend. And then you'll be like, oh, I'm not ready. Because then it's, if they never got that quit claim, then it's not even applicable. Right. They can't. Right. Without, with her being on title. Right. Do you, is, do you think a lot of agents are, do you see it, maybe some agents um, jumping the gun? Like someone says they want to sell, but there is another party involved yes. and then come to find out it's like, well, you can't do anything. And then the contract falls through. I think that more than it falls through, it just gets delayed. A lot of Closing time. Gets delayed. Usually, you know, when push comes to shove, if I tell you that I got, you got to find your ex-wife to sign, you're going to find her. Yeah. Because probably you're going to get some money and you have some motivation. Right. Um, so sometimes people say, I don't know where she is, but they can find. Is it, it So in a divorce decree, if they need a quick claim, is that something that you guys can provide? We can do a quick claim if we're doing a transaction. Mm-hmm. Ideally, their div- their divorce attorney should have done them, but we find that a lot of times they don't. And the, really? the verbiage will say, wife, to do ex- do quick claim. But th- this is not people's language. Sure. It's our language. Yeah. So they're like, what's a quick claim? I don't know. So they don't do it. Or maybe they did have it. I guess maybe, no, it would have got filed then. I was going to say maybe they never... Well, I also it. have I've had a couple people that have it mm-hmm. and the wife signed it and they didn't record it because they right. didn't know because that is not their job. Right. <laughs> she Bad signed a divorce attorney. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, and the other thing I see is lack of communication. I mean, my thing is just overshare, mm. overshare with everybody um, and let them, you know, know what they need to know. And if they don't need to know it, they'll just ignore it. Yeah. Like at the title company, like, um, Basically, just overshare any information that you think could be helpful or yeah. that you know about the clients even or just. Yes. Yeah. Like if you know that uh, this guy works nights and don't call him during the day, mm. tell me that. If you think I know need to know that the house is purple, tell me that. <laughs> if I don't need to know it, I won't put it in the file. Right. But if the guy prefers to be texted, um, tell me that because I'll text him. Yeah. That's good because I think. You know, you play such an important role in the transaction, but it's also you're it's so like hands off for agents. Like yes. once it gets in your court, it's like you're like a third party. So it's like then you're expected to you're not really like part of it, even though you are. Right. So it's like if they treated you more like you were on the same team and you're communicating like your partners in this transaction, right. I'm sure that would be a better, smoother experience for everybody. Right. Yeah. Because we all are on the same team. Yeah. We are. We don't get paid unless it closes. They don't get paid unless it closes. Right. Buyer doesn't get a house unless it closes. <laughs> so we are on the same team. Yeah. So, yeah. And that's the same for title companies. We, you know, it is our obligation to also share, you know, it's a struggle because if you hit a little bump, you don't want to tell them and make them panic. 
But you also don't want to come to the night before closing and go, oh, we got a big problem. Mm. So, you know, the communication's on us, too. Very good. Okay, Jody. So for anybody that maybe hasn't done a transaction or only has really done minimal transactions, they're not exactly sure what the title company actually does. Would you mind sharing just kind of a brief description of your job? Sure. So what a title company really does is we tell title, sell title insurance. But in order to do that, we have to gather um, different information from public sources. So we gather information about a buyer, about a seller, and about the property, and we put it all together. It has to, you know, we have underwriting guidelines, of course, so everything has to be, uh, there's a check, checks and balance system to make sure everything had been done beforehand. Most people have a lender, so we're working with a lender. We get things, we get payoffs, we get HOA statements, we do things like that. And then we put it all together and put a little bow on it and have a closing. So people think of us really as closers, but closing is really a byproduct of mm. issuing title insurance. Um, and so then uh, we, we facilitate the closing, we facilitate recording, we take in all the money, we disperse all the money, and then we record all the documents for everybody. What is title insurance? So title insurance is a policy that ensures that up until that point that everybody had a right to buy and sell and that it was all transferred properly and that all liens were paid off. So if you buy a house and let's just say it was a neighborhood that used to be a family farm and it was developed, you know, 30 years ago and then the farmer died and the family sold it off and then somebody pops up and said, I was, I was that farmer's daughter. I mean, we didn't have a relationship, but I'm his daughter and I should have gotten some money and if she, in fact, would be owed money, then the title insurance would pay that. How often is it that you do a title search and something like red flag actually pops up? It actually happens regularly. Does and, it? And sometimes it's interesting. Um, and sometimes it's super boring. <laughs> um, you know, it can be as something as simple as, you know, maybe you sold, you know, you bought a house and the person who owned it had a HELOC and we paid it off, but they forgot to release that. So in theory, there's still a HELOC from a previous owner on your property. Wow. Yeah. And then sometimes it can be that you inherited the property and there's all sorts of wills and probate docs and all sorts of stuff you have to read through. And and you guys read through those and do. decipher them. Yeah. What does it mean to release a HELOC on a property? So a, so a HELOC is a home equity line of credit. So if I, the thing is, is that HELOCs are ran up and then paid down and you leave them on your property as like a line of credit. So right. sometimes like if we sell a property, we pay off that HELOC and it needs to be released so that they can, it's no longer attached. Hmm. They're used to those HELOCs going up and down in balance. So they may not actually close it. Yes. Wow. Right. Whereas if I pay off your Chase mortgage, Chase mortgage knows that you're not going to come back and run a check against your property and because that'd be cool. That's but, interesting. Yeah. So like if you sell a property and you have a mortgage and you have a HELOC on it and you pay those both off yes. with the proceeds. Yes. But if the company that you actually have your HELOC with doesn't close the HELOC when yes. it's paid off, then the buyer is going to actually still have a HELOC HELOC attached to the property. Correct. And so isn't that the title company's responsibility to make sure that that's being closed mm -hmm. out? It is, yeah. Okay. But sometimes people drop the ball on that or... Absolutely. Wow, really? Mm -hmm. Huh. 
Is that fairly common? The HELOC story is actually fairly common. Wow. Because, like, if you have a HELOC with, you know, a local credit union, mm -hmm. they, just because they get the payoff, they don't, even though they get a letter that says you need to close it, that if they, if that gets overlooked, they're used to that maybe being paid off. And, but you're just going to use it again. Mm -hmm. So, now the thing is, is that nobody really uses it again in a perfect world because, as you've sold the house, you think that that has been closed and released. You don't think you have access to it. So it's not being run up or right. anything. It shouldn't be. But it would be showing up on your like credit report yes. and it would still be there. Yes. Interesting. So then basically, if you're a good title company, you're doing like the extra mile to be sure. Like, Correct. did you guys close this? You're like yes. following up on it. Yes. Wow. That's really fascinating. I did not know that. I did not know that that's like a common issue or could be. It could be. Yeah. Do you want to share like what actually happens at the closing table? Sure. That would be great. Um, so if you're the buyer and you're most people are getting loans. So we work with a lender to prepare your uh, closing disclosure. And that's really the summary of the whole transaction. And then once we get that worked out, they send over all the documents that they want signed. So we were looking at a note, a deed of trust, which is how they uh, do a lien on your property. And then all sorts of other not as important documents um, and a lot of them are duplicated <laughs> from your process of when you got the loan. But we'll sit at the closing table and we go over them and you sign them. You bring me your money or you wire your money. And then the seller also does the same thing. The seller doesn't have nearly as much to sign. Right. And then we, you know, we get the buyer's money. We get the lender's money. And after everybody's signed, then we disperse it all out to where it's supposed to go. So we're mailing off payoffs, overnighting payoffs giving seller proceeds, paying agents, paying vendors. So the title company, when a file is open with the title company, they are now aware that a transaction is going to take place yes. and they begin immediately yes. title doing the title search and title Correct. insurance work. Yes. And so then simultaneously they're connecting with the lender that's lending on the property Correct. on the transaction. So you're working with your company to do the title insurance you're working with the lender to make yes. sure that you get all the loan docs from them that they need also maybe learning that you know the lender might need something that they don't have and yes. you're communicating with them and then communicating with the agent to make sure all three parties are right getting the transaction done right and then once the title or once the closing day occurs everything has now been signed you submit the loan documents the signed loan documents back to the lender and then you file um, or record the deed correct and then at that point, the transaction's closed. Yes. Cool. Um, that might seem obvious, but I do know that when I got started, I had no idea what the title company did. Oh, I know. Yeah. So it's like, oh, you know that that's like a super important part of the transaction, but not actually sure what yeah. occurs. So before I was in title, I was in lending. And mm -hmm. I, one time there was like a problem with title and I was just like, I don't even know what that means. <laughs> and now here I am later in title, but yeah. I didn't even understand enough to know what they did yeah. to understand what there could be a problem with. It's so important too. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So what resources can the title company provide agents that they might not know of? So I think the, the answer to that is if you have a, a, either a property or a person that you have some concerns about, like maybe you think that they're behind on their mortgage or you think that they're in foreclosure or you think they might have a tax lien or they've been sued. If you have a, a really good relationship with a title company, call them up and have them look at that property or look at that person specifically. So again, we're talking about way ahead of, you know, listing or buying or selling so that you can kind of just see what you're working with. 
How do you know if somebody's behind on their mortgage? So I don't always know, but there's some things that get recorded that actually could prompt you to think that a foreclosure is getting ready to happen. Uh, usually, um, when they transfer, when they do an assignment of trustee, kind of lets you know that probably some things are amiss, and in the next couple months, hmm. they might be publishing a foreclosure notice. Not always, mm -hmm. but it. It's kind of one of the first telltale signs. Yeah. Do you guys ever get like, how far can a transaction go until you realize like the seller is um, like behind on payments? Like how far does like opening title go? Or like, do you think that this is going to close before that's realized? If ever, is that like when you're communicating with their <clears throat> lender for payoff or? That's usually, that is usually um, the, when you start trying to get a payoff and you can't get a payoff or they refer you to an attorney, mm. <laughs> you know that, you know, and they can be an attorney for a long time. So as soon as they get to the attorney, they're going to, there's going to be some added attorney fees, but as long as you're not foreclosed on, you can still sell it. Um, but that the first kicker is, is when you can't get a payoff. Yeah. Um, or it's taking way too long. Mm. Back when we did forbearance during COVID, they that was a problem, but we're really out of that now. Everybody is out of the COVID forbearance now. Um, those were also very hard payoffs to get, mm. which would be like a vein foreclosure, but you couldn't foreclose back then. Mm. So, Is that, is foreclosure, I'm just curious for is my it a own. Thing? Like, well, yeah, but like, is it common? Do you see that a lot? I'm more so wondering with my investor brain. Um, do I see that a lot? Not really, not like you used to. Yeah. Um, because in this market still, even yeah. in, uh, the little shift and some craziness. A lot of equity. There's still a lot of equity. Yeah. But, you know, seven years ago, we would tell people if you're buying a house, you're doing a VA loan, you're rolling in your um, VA funding fee, mm -hmm. you're going to be about three years before you can sell and break even. Wow. And so that's totally different than now. So it used to be that, you know, you got orders in two years. Well, what are you going to do? Mm -hmm. you, you you might have to bring money to close. That's crazy to be a seller and bring money to close. So for those people, it was there was no incentive to list their house. We are kind of seeing that more again, though, aren't we? I like less equity. And like if you bought like a year ago. Yes. So we had that two year crazy bubble. Mm -hmm. And that is gone i think yeah never it was just like this anomaly yeah um and so i think that we're correcting because that was just a weird time and we right. got to quit comparing things to that for sure <laughs> yeah i mean if you look at the data like this year compared to last year uh, i mean there's just like a yes. complete drop but, but this year's more normal yeah it may be even still a little out of the norm but more normal but going back to like equity and such yes. and being able to sell in like a funding fee with a VA loan, which is yes. obviously very common in our market. Yes. So we're seeing that because we do property management as well. It's like we are seeing like more clients reaching out, like saying they need to rent their homes because they can't sell them yes. because realtor costs. And then the funding fee on the VA loan yes. is like even if you sold like a year and maybe even two years ago, you're actually seeing that again. Yes. Which is normal, I guess. What if you bought a house two years ago? 100% financing rolled in your funding fee, and you paid $15,000 for an appraisal gap. Mm. Well, that, <laughs> that money is gone. 
I mean, your appraisal gap is gone. Yeah. It didn't benefit anybody but the seller. But as the seller at the time. Yeah. But now you want to you want to recapture some of that, but you can't sell it and recapture that probably yet. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, you're seeing that more now, aren't you? I mean, yes. you just had a class on assumptions, and I'm yes. assuming that's why, because you believe that's like the nature of the market that we're getting into now after that big explosion. Yes, yes. Yeah. Um, we will see certainly see more assumptions. And just all, all, F, all government-backed loans can be assumed. So FHA can be assumed far less often than VA loans. Uh, VA loans... Um, I, I, we're seeing more of them, that there's still a very niche market. Um, I, I think people throw it around, especially agents throw it around, and they don't necessarily understand it. Um, assumptions? Yes. So, Do you uh, want to talk about sure. that? Sure. So assumptions are just that. They're just assumptions. So if you have a VA loan, I can go in and assume your VA loan. So I do have to credit qualify. You have to be current. Some, some things like that have to happen. You also have to be uh, eligible for a VA loan. That's correct. Well, you don't have to be. You don't have to be a military personnel? No. But if the person you're assuming wants their eligibility back, I see. you have to be. I gotcha. So for them to get restored to their VA eligibility, but maybe they don't ever want to use it again. I don't know. Apparently, I wasn't listening very well at That's your okay. class. It's all right. <laughs> I, I forgive you. Nugget. Um, so the thing is, is that I'm going to assume it for exactly what that person owes. So let's just, for nice round numbers, say that they owe $200,000. Mm-hmm. All I can do is assume their mortgage. So think of assumptions as a financing tool. It's not a purchasing tool. So if the person selling wants to sell their house for three hundred, but they have a $200,000 mortgage, I can assume that $200,000 mortgage, but I still have to do something for that 100000 that they want. So I have to come up with 100000 or do some second, you know, second place financing behind that assumption, like get my own HELOC or my own HELOAN, or I have $100,000 in the bank maybe. But the person that wants to assume, allow their loan to be assumable is because they probably, why would someone want to do that as far as the seller is concerned? Because they probably have a really good interest rate. Like I have a 2% interest rate. If I ever wanted to sell my house, I could market that I have an assumable 2% interest rate. I see. So for somebody that's going to get six and a half, two 2% sounds really good. But what's the benefit to the seller? Because that benefits the buyer. Yeah, what is the benefit to the seller? Is there? I don't think so. <laughs> I don't, uh, no, I don't want to say that. The thing is, is that it, it's just got to be the right seller because it's going to be, it's going to take longer. Mm. Uh, guaranteed going to take longer. It's going to probably take 90 days to close easily. I've had them go up to six months. Um, so you, the seller has to be willing to wait for that. Um, is the seller, is is this more common for a seller that is in some sort of financial situation? So they can't be behind on their mortgage, but they could have some other distresses that we don't know about. They could... Um, could yeah. it be an it would it would someone might could it be an equity issue? It absolutely could be an equity issue. Now, when we have people that don't have a lot of equity, um, it's very it's much more appealing mm-hmm. um, because the buyer doesn't have to come up with hundred thousand dollars. Then in right. my story, um, but then you still say what's in it for the seller. Th- there used to be a market when it was you know 
harder to sell your house. Right now, it's we're in a market where it's easy to sell your house, sure. even still with this correction. So back in the day, when your house may sit on the market for 90 days, maybe you uh, promote the assumption of part of it, and it still takes 90 days to close, mm. but it was going to take 90 days to sell. You see, see what I'm saying? And the equity might not have been so cumbersome for the buyer. So it's like an attractive feature for their listing to draw buyers to it their is. property. Yeah. Because they're selling that rate, which is right. extremely attractive, obviously. Right. Especially now when rates are like 8%. Right. <laughs> right. But you also have to think about some, there's other things to think about. If I have to come up with $100,000. Right. And I can get a, I can get my own hundred percent at six percent, or I can come up with a hundred thousand and get this other loan at two percent. Initially, it sounds very attractive, mm. but when I have to really think about, am I gonna, you know, get rid of some liquid assets I have, or am I gonna have to get a second loan for the hundred thousand? So you have to weigh all the things. You can't just compare. I can get six percent or two percent. Mm. You got to really think about all the ins and outs. So to summarize, where do you think that assumptions are fitting into this current market then, if anywhere? Are they becoming more, do you foresee them to? I don't. Okay. I, I see a lot of agents throwing it around. Um, it is a very niche thing, just because a lot of sellers can't wait. So a lot of sellers can't wait that long. Yeah. Um, the couple that I've done recently, the few that I have done recently, actually the buyer and the seller were both really good friends. Mm. Um, I think that one of them, the buyer was already renting the house. Um, and so it was that one was an easy no brainer for them. Sure. But if you need to sell your house and PCS to Fort Bragg and you need $100,000 to close on your new house, assumption is not the way to do it. <laughs> Okay. You're just going to be too long. Okay. So how about some <laughs> general advice that you would give to real estate agents? You've been in the business for a long time. You've seen a lot of different things. So I'm curious from your perspective, what wisdom you have to share? Well, I think the first one is just, you know, real estate one-on-one. Make sure that everybody knows what you do. All, everybody in your family, everybody that you go to church with, everybody knows what you do. You'd be surprised when you think that they know what you do, but they're like, I know they do something real estate, but I don't know what it is. Right. Um, but they can't refer you business if they don't know. And, you know, wear your name tag everywhere. Go to Walmart mm. and wear your name tag. <laughs> um, and the other thing that I'm a big one on is, uh, you know, communicate with yeah. everybody. But but also my, thing, my other thing is, is that um, we're a relationship business, so we're relationships with our clients, but you know, sometimes we work with bad agents. Sometimes we work with agents that we think aren't doing what's right for their client or whatever. Um, but they're, you're going to run into them again. So, you know, you know, I'm not saying don't speak your truth, but just know that this is probably an agent you're going to work with again. And they're not necessarily your competition. We all may have different sorts of people that we work with or how sure. we get business. Um, but if you're, you know snarky and rude and ignore the other agent that's going to come back to you someday because you're gonna you're gonna have a listing and they're gonna maybe not show it because it's you i mean yeah treat everybody with respect i think that's a great yeah tip even if they don't deserve it <laughs> i mean it says a lot about you right if you're yeah. able to keep your head high and right lead with a good heart and yeah. 
be forgiving in those cases, right? Yeah. As yeah. hard as that might be. Yes. And also, you know, when I say that, but also give other people grace because, yeah. you know, in- inevitably we, we all mess up. Mm-hmm. And maybe, you know, maybe you're working with somebody and you have no idea what's going on in the world. Now, I'm not talking about somebody doing something unethical. Yeah. But maybe somebody just not on their game. You don't know what's going on. True. Give them grace because someday you'll need that. So, again, you've been in the biz for a while. You've interacted with a lot of real estate agents. I'm curious if you have anybody that comes to mind without mentioning names that you kind of have seen them blossom over time and become a quote-unquote successful real estate agent. Yes. So I've seen a lot of success stories, but one particular comes to mind. Many years ago, I don't know, probably seven or so years ago, I met somebody. She was married. She had many small kids. I would say probably <laughs> four kids under yeah. the age of seven. Um, and she was just getting started brand new to the business. And I would have just, and although I loved her from the get go, I would have just said, you know, she got so much going on. Um, and she, she just found her niche and she did all the things she was apparently supposed to do to grow herself as a realtor and took every training that was available to her. Um, but again, I still think she found her niche, but she, I mean, I'm not going to pretend like she didn't put in a lot of work. She did, yeah. um, grew the, an incredibly successful team still in the business, still around. Um, but it, when, when I first met her, I would have never seen, I would have never thought for yeah. that to happen. Um, you think niching down and then the hard work were like yes, the two factors. They are the like two factors. she had a focus yeah. on her ideal client. Yes. Hmm. Interesting guys little nugget there just want to add that (laughs) so she found her ideal client and then she put in a lot of hard work yes and a lot of hard work yes you think that having clarity in who you want to serve is beneficial because that's something that we really advocate for I really do yeah you know it's got to be part of your part of your plan is about who you're going to serve yeah how you're going to do it and you always got to be open to that could change maybe I was wrong um but I think it needs to be part of your plan. 